Take your Bibles, please. Turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number one. We're starting a Christmas series and um, Luke chapter number one. As you're turning there, who already has Christmas decorations up? You are already, you are Christmas up. Raise it nice and high. Be proud of your proactiveness. Good. We have, we have not. Okay. How many of you had your Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving? You got them up before Thanksgiving. Okay. Okay. So you guys are, you guys are one of those folks. Just this year. I understand. Just this year. But Luke chapter number one, we're starting a Christmas uh, series on the people of Christmas. We kind of looked at some of these folks uh, the first year I came, actually. But we're going to kind of examine them again in a new light, uh, and hopefully this will be an encouragement as we look at some of the people that made up the Christmas season. Now, uh, uh, this morning, we're going to look at two folks, really focus in on Zacharias, but Elizabeth as well, and uh, looking specifically at these two. Now, these two were not near Christmas. This was actually probably about a year before Christmas, but nonetheless, preparing for, um, for Christmas a little bit. Let's stand up again. Luke chapter number 1, and we'll begin in verse number 5. Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 5. It says there, There was, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And those, of course, are the two people we're going to look at. Verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name, what, can we say it together? John. And this, of course, is what we call John the Baptist, okay, but John, verse, verse number uh, 14. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient of the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answered, said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not be able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. 
And it came to pass, as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me, to take away my reproach among men. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can study it and examine it this morning. I pray that you give understanding, give clarity in this um, character that we're going to study here uh, this morning of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Lord, I pray that you give us strength and help to glean for ourselves some character traits that we need to have, some character traits we need to avoid here this morning. Strengthen us in these things as we prepare for this Christmas season in this above all else very strange year. Lord, I pray that you would help us to prepare for your coming, just like Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John prepared for your coming. Lord, strengthen us in, this, in these things. Give us understanding. Give us clarity. Father, be with me. Give me the words to say that would be an encouragement and strength in your people. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Sorry for reading a longer passage here this morning. So, uh, the people of Christmas. Obviously, we know a lot about uh, the Christmas story. And as is my normal case this year, we're going to take a little bit of a pause in 1 Samuel to focus in on Christmas. Zacharias and Elizabeth, you really can't deal with Christmas if you don't deal with these two now, Elizabeth, if you remember, was cousins to Mary. Zacharias and Elizabeth give birth to John the Baptist, the one that prepared the way for Christ. But as we look at these different character traits and these character, um, characters through this study, we'll see some things that are good, some things that perhaps aren't so good. Now, I love how the Bible just gives people the way they really are, right? None of us are perfect, Yes. I, I, um, I was uh, working on the church building, um, or working on the parsonage, rather, over Thanksgiving break. Yes, I cannot take a break. But, um, but I was working on the parsonage, and um, one night I came over, and um, I was grabbing something, and um, somebody was spending the night out here. They were driving through, and they were spending the night out back, which I said that was fine. But um, I got a chance to talk to this uh, young man, and um, got to share the, share the gospel with him, and he's like, well, preacher, you don't know. I, I can't be saved. I, I've done this, that, and the other thing. Can I tell you, folks, none of us are perfect. Amen. None of us are perfect. And even Zacharias and Elizabeth, you'll see some character traits that perhaps they're a little um, uh, faulty on. But nonetheless, these are good folks that are serving the Lord. Number one, let's look at their description. Then later on, we'll look at their disbelief. And finally, their declaration as uh, God uh, does uh, work in them and take them to the next step. Number one, their description. Let's look at their names, can we? Now, I've talked about this before, but names in the Bible are especially important. Uh, names were very significant because names meant something. When we picked out names for Joshua, Esther, Anna, Abigail, um, we would pick out names that we liked, right? But... Um, my wife, Becky, she always liked the name Joshua. And so if we had a, ever had a boy, she said, I want to name him Joshua. It was Joshua's birthday this past week, so I'll embarrass him even more than I normally do. <laughs> and we, we, we would pick names that we'd like, and we wouldn't really focus so much on what the name means. But back in Bible times, names meant something, and it was significant. It would be like going and calling somebody something. For example, my name is Jonathan. 
I go by John, but my name's Jonathan, which means gift of Jehovah. Whenever someone would come up to me, they wouldn't say Jonathan. They would really be saying gift of Jehovah. Does that make sense? So names were very significant to a person's character. So whenever you're looking at the Bible and you're specifically focusing on a character, look at their names, see what it means. The names of Zacharias and Elizabeth are very significant, especially with what, what's happening in their lives. The name Zacharias means God remembers. The name Elizabeth means God's oath or God's promise. Literally, what's it saying? It's saying God, when you put the two names together, that God's going to remember and God's going to keep his promises. Can I tell you, friends, when you think about Christmas, that's a pretty good summary of Christmas, isn't it? God remembers and God keeps his promises. But at this point, it doesn't seem like God's going to keep his promises. Do you know how much time has passed between the Old Testament and the New? Does anyone know? 400 years. 400 years is a long time, folks. During that time, there hasn't been any prophets. There hasn't been any vision. There hasn't been any of God speaking to his people. 400 years is a long time. Go back to the 1600s. Okay? It's a long time. And people are starting to wonder, is God going to keep his promise? Can I tell you, friends, when people start to wonder if God's going to keep his promise, he's still going to keep his promise. He's still going to do what he said he would do. Number one, their names. Number two, their character. You find it in verse number six. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They were righteous before God. They were blameless before men. Righteous, of course, means to do the right thing, right? That's what righteous means. Blameless has the idea of nothing sticks, like Teflon, man, right, or something like that. that a, an accusation wouldn't stick to them. If you went and you said, oh, well, Zacharias is doing this. Oh, well, Elizabeth is doing this. Everyone would say, no way. It's not possible. That's where the, those are the kind of people that they were. Now, obviously, they had some issues. We'll look at that in a second. But their character, their names, number three, just getting a description of them, their problem, verse number seven. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Not nice and simply, they both didn't have children. They, it wasn't for lack of trying to have children. They just didn't have them. And at this point, she's old. She's well stricken in years. That's an interesting phrase. The idea is years had beat her up. How many of you feel like that sometimes? <laughs> years beat you up, right? She had a physical problem, and really both of them had a physical problem, and that is that she couldn't have children. And no doubt she had desired children. No doubt she had prayed for children. No doubt Zacharias had prayed for children. You find in verse number seven, there was a physical problem. And there, number two, a spiritual request. Of course, Zacharias is one of the priests. There were a lot of priests. And so they would have this, this rotation, I guess you could say, where they would do the different offices of the priest. And it was Zacharias's turn, you find in verse number eight through verse number 10, Zacharias' turn to go into the altar and to burn incense there at the temple. Burning incense was a picture of prayer. We find that throughout the Old Testament and the New. 
And so it was almost as Zacharias is going in, no doubt the burden on his heart, the prayer in his life is, Lord, we'd love to have a child, but how? No doubt the burden, the prayer request that's been really pervasive all through his life is, Lord, we'd love to have a child, but when would it happen? How could it happen? But can I tell you, friends, from the very beginning of the Christmas story all the way to the end when Jesus goes and dies on the cross and is risen again, it's not a matter of how from our perspective. It's a matter of how from God's perspective. Their description, they had a physical problem, but they had a, they had a spiritual request. They needed God to do something. Look at verse number 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. The reason for that is if you came into the, uh, into the holy place and you had sin in your life, God would strike you dead. Okay, So there's a reason for him to be scared. Literally, the priests had to wear bells around the bottom of their clothes. And if the bells stopped shaking, then they would pull them out by a rope. Okay, They were scared. Verse 13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias. Catch it. For thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Now shall call his name John. Their description. But number two, their disbelief. Can I tell you sometimes, friends, when we go and we see God working, despite how we are, when we get the, the feeling that God's going to work, that God's going to answer, what's our natural response sometimes? It's unbelief, isn't it? How many of you have prayed for something for a really long time? You don't have to say what it is. You prayed for something for a really long time. Raise your hand if you prayed for something. Specific prayer request for a really long time. Good. Now, let's just say that someone came up to you and they said, hey, I know you've been praying for this for a really long time. I believe that God's going to answer that this next week. What would be your first reaction? Right? Really? Seriously? I, I don't think you understand here. I've been praying for this for 10, 15, 20 years. Seriously? If I came up to you and I, and I, those of you that just raised your hand and you said, yeah, I've been praying for this or I've been praying for that. And I went to you and I said, hey, I think God's going to answer it this next week. You would probably respond exactly the way Zacharias responds here. How? How, how can I know that? What, what do you have? I've been praying for this forever. There's no way. Number one, their description. Number two, their dif- disbelief. The angel, Gabriel, we'll see more about him as we, go, as we continue on through Christmas. But Gabriel comes, and he gives a message, verse number 13. The angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Great promises here. Let's break them down real quick. Number one, his promise. He shows God's grace. Call his name John. Again, names are important. The name John means Jehovah is gracious. The Lord will show his grace in this son. And by the way, that's exactly what John the Baptist, baptizer, did. 
chose God's grace, chose God's gladness. He shall have joy and gladness. He'll bring gladness to others, you find in verse number 14. Then he shall rejoice at his birth. Nice and simply, hey, listen, Zacharias, I got some good news for you. God's still gracious. God God will bring gladness. Number three, I see in this passage, God's greatness, verse 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. By the way, Jesus himself said there was none greater than John the Baptist. And he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. For he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. That never happened, friends. As a matter of fact, none of you were filled from the Holy Ghost, filled by the Holy Ghost from your mother's womb. Continue on. Verse 16. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He's going to turn people to God. Hey, this is great news! You'd think Zacharias would be like, this is awesome. We're going to have a kid. This is great. Number four, promise here. Show the gospel. Verse number 17. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. By the way, the him is talking about Jesus. He is John. So John will go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. Okay, continuing on. To turn the hearts of the, of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And of course, that again is referring to Jesus. Continue on. And Zacharias, well, we'll get to verse 18 in a second. Verse 19. And the angels answering and said unto him, I'm Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee to show thee these, what's the next two words? Glad tidings. That's the gospel. He's saying, hey, listen, this son, he's going he's gonna to do some great things. He's going to show God's grace, and he's going to show God's greatness, and he's going to show God's gladness, and he's going to bring gladness to the people of Israel, and he's going to show the gospel. All these great things. How does Zacharias respond like we respond? Look at it. Verse 18. Zacharias said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man, my wife well stricken in years. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, Mr. Angel Guy. By the way, let's, put, let's take out for just a minute and just put ourselves in this perspective, can we? Let's imagine that you're, temp- that you're a priest. Let's imagine you go into the temple and sure enough there's an angel standing in the temple. You all with me here? And let's imagine you think you're going to die, and the angel goes and says, hey, you're going to have a son. I don't know about you or you, but myself, I'd be inclined to believe the guy. Y'all with me here? I'd be inclined to believe him. What's Zacharias' response? What's my proof? How am I going to know this? His protest. I, I see a few things that happen in our lives, unfortunately that show where our faith is, that happened in Zacharias' life. Number one, he wanted proof over God's promises. Can I tell you, friends, in our lives, a lot of times we want proof over the promises of God. God's given us plenty of promises, yes? But what do we always want? A little bit more. Right? If God proved it, then you'd still want a little bit more. 
As a matter of fact, in just a second, the angel's going to prove it. In a way, probably Zacharias didn't want to be proven, but nonetheless. Now, the reality is we always want a little bit more. Can I tell you, friends, God's already promised it. Believe it. Receive it. Nice and simply, this angel's given four different promises very clearly, very strictly, very succinctly, that this son is going to be great. But he wanted a little bit more proof. Well, but how will I know this? Can I tell you, friends, if you've been praying for something for a long time, you don't need proof, you need faith. Trust him. Trust him. Trust the Lord. I'm afraid sometimes we don't get the answers because we don't believe God can actually answer. Jesus himself was very clear that if you ask in faith, you will receive. Many times we have our prayer requests and we have our, our prayer sheet. I have, my, I have it right here. We go and we go through these and we, we hope God does something. We don't believe God will do something. Can I tell you, friends? Trust God's promises. Trust God's promises. Proof over God's promises. Problems over God's power. What's he focus on? Verse 18. Whereby shall I know this? What's the problem? For I'm an old man. My wife is well stricken in years. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, this is too big of a thing for God to take care of. My wife hasn't had any children. We're both old. Can I, can I, um, let's just use our memories here, can't we, for just a second? Was there anybody else in the Bible that was old, that wanted to have kids and couldn't have kids, and God gave them kids? Was there anybody else? Abraham and Sarah. As a matter of fact, as you look through the Bible, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. As you look through the Bible, you find constantly... This repetition of people that wanted to have children, that couldn't have children, God sends them, and because of that, God does something miraculous, right? We've been looking at 1 Samuel, haven't we? That's exactly what happened in 1 Samuel. There's so many examples, but here he is, Zacharias is going, he's saying, God, this, this is impossible. How is it going to happen? I mean, we're both old. Does that stop God? Has it ever stopped God? No! But they're focusing on the problems over God's power. Can I remind you, friends, this will show up constantly as we look through this series. With men, it might be impossible. With God, all things are possible. Trust God. Trust God. Trust God. Don't focus on the problems. Focus on the power of God. You focus on the problems, you're going to be discouraged. You focus on the problems, you're not going to trust him. You focus on the problems, oh, well, God can't do it. I've been praying for it for this long. Oh, God can't do it. It's too hard. Oh, God can't do it. It's impossible. No, it's not. You're talking about God. Trust him. Person over God's presence. I love verse 18 and 19. Catch it here. When I stop... You read the next phrase, okay? And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For, can we read the next phrase? I am an old man, and my wife was stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, can we read the next phrase? 
I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee to show thee these glad tidings. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, how can I know this? Because I can't do it. Can I tell you, friends, if you're praying about it, the whole reason why you're praying about it is because you can't do it. Am I making sense here? Why was Zacharias and Elizabeth praying for a son? Why? Because they couldn't have one. You all with me here? What was their reaction when they heard that they'd have a son? But, Gabriel, I don't think you understand. We can't have a son. Duh! Right? So that's a wonderful Hebrew phrase. Duh! Of course you can't have a son. You've been praying for a son. You, you're old and well-stricken years. He goes and he says, Gabriel, there's no way we can have a kid because I'm old. My wife's been beaten up on the ears. By the way, men, don't say that to you about your wives, but let's continue on. Uh, how can, This is impossible. No, we can't. What does Gabriel go? He goes and Zachariah says, I'm old. Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel. Can I, can I say it this way? Zacharias goes and says, well, we can't do it because it, it's just me. I'm old. I can't. We can't. You know what Gabriel says? Gabriel says, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> I'm the angel of the Lord. I stand in the presence of God. If God says you're going to have a kid, then you're going to have a kid. Trust God, friends. Trust God. Why is it so hard for us to trust God? I've I've asked that question to myself hundreds of times. Why is it so hard for us to trust God? It's God. Right? It's God. Trust him, trust him, trust him. But you know what we do? We focus on ourselves. We focus on our problems. We focus on the proof. Oh, how can I know? I need to be sure. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Can I tell you, friends, if God fit into our own little brains, then God would be no better than we are. God's ways are better than our ways. Trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him. So what does he do? He doesn't believe. You say, how do you know he doesn't believe? Preacher, that's not fair. Well, that's what he says. Look at verse 20. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things be performed. Catch it. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. What happens? It's punishment. He's not able to speak until those things are performed. Can you imagine this? He goes, and all of a sudden, he's, he's going and talking back. The last phrase is Zacharias said. You catch it? The last phrase Zacharias says, how, how can these things be? I'm old. My wife's well-stricken in years. Gabriel says, oh, yeah? Well, you're not going to be able to talk until the baby's born. I imagine Zacharias probably had some little comment, right? Like, Can you imagine that? Can you imagine him walking out of the temple? You find it. He, he's in the temple for a while, and everybody out there outside the temple is like, why on earth is Zacharias in there so long? He just had to light some incense. It's not that hard. Why has he been in there that long? And he comes out. Everyone says, Zacharias, why are you in there so long? And he's like, can you picture it? He, he goes and he says, it, it says in this passage that he goes and he like, he tries to get something to write with, and they're all like, what on earth? 
So they go and they get something to write with and he writes down this whole idea here and he's going and basically explaining everything. Everybody's amazed because there hasn't been any vision of God. There hasn't been any visitation of angels. There hasn't been any of that. As a matter of fact, there's a whole group in Jerusalem that says, you know what, all the spiritual stuff, it's all fake. It's all hocus pocus. It's all, it's all pretend. Nobody trusts it. But Zacharias is sitting there and his faith is being strengthened. Eventually, he's done with his duties. He goes back to his home, back to his wife, Elizabeth, and sure enough, she becomes pregnant. Fast forward, if you can, a little bit. Skip down to chapter number 1 and verse number 57. Now, Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they called him Zacharias, after the name of his father. Back in Bible times, you wouldn't name the child the first day. You'd name the child the eighth day when they were actually ceremonially circumcised, okay? So all the friends and the cousins are all gathered around, and they're saying, we need to name this boy Zacharias. Because, I mean, you know, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they've been wanting somebody. Let's just, let's call him Junior, right? Continue on. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. They called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, not so, but he shall be called John. And he said unto her, there's none of thy kindred that's called by that name. And he made signs to his father. How he, how he would have him called. So basically, they go. Elizabeth says, no, nope, we're naming him John. And they're like, what? Nobody in your family's named John? That's ridiculous. So they go to Zacharias. They say, Zacharias, what should we name this child? Zacharias has been sitting nice and quiet, thinking for a while. What do you think Zacharias is going to name the boy? John. Look at it. Verse number, verse number 62. And they made signs to his father how he, should, how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table. Table, rather. Table. <laughs> and wrote saying, his name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately. And his tongue loosed. And he spake and praised God. Number one, their description. Number two, their disbelief. Number three, their declaration. Zacharias, he goes, and you would have thought, probably Zacharias thought, that as soon as the baby was born, he'd be able to talk. Can you imagine when the baby's born? No talking? He's like, oh, well, great, here it goes again. Right? Just sitting there, all silent. Finally, the time comes to name the son. He's been thinking about every moment in that temple. No, he's going to be called John. The instant that he wrote down, his name is John, he begins to speak. And he gives this declaration that's so strong, so powerful, it's really hard to cover it all in one service. And I have about 10 minutes. Okay? Let's, let's jump into it. Number one, talks about God's fulfilled prophecies. prophecies. Verse, um, verse uh, 69. Have raised up an horn of salvation. Actually, let's look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which has visited and redeemed his people. 
and would raise up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he spake by the mouths of his holy prophets, which have been here since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy performed to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. What's he saying nice and simply? Number one, he's saying, hey, there have been a lot of fulfilled promises that are pointed to this, and we should trust them. What, what's that showing? That's showing that Zacharias learned something, didn't he? Through this time, Zacharias hasn't just been sitting at home saying, oh, it sure would be nice if I could talk. Now I'm having to hear to Elizabeth all the time, complaining she wants pickles and ice cream. Or whatever. No. No, what's he been doing? He's been looking at God's word and seeing all the promises that God had promised. He's going and he goes and he says, hey, God's promised this. God's fulfilled his promises to David. Verse 69, you see it? Hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Can I say there's a lot of promises fulfilled that are fulfilled in Jesus that David originally prophesied. Psalm 89, verse 3 and 4, I made a covenant with my chosen. I've sworn unto my servant David, thy seed will I establish forever and upon thy throne to all generations. Can I tell you, friends, if that was just about David's sons being king, then God didn't keep his promise. But can I tell you, the reality is uh, someone will sit on the throne of David forever, and that's Jesus Christ. To the prophets, verse 70 and 71, He's spoken in the mouth of it by his holy prophets, which shall be since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all that hate us to perform the mercy performed to our fathers. Nice and simply, there's a lot of prophecies ever since the world began all the way to, this, to that point in, in the story of Christ that would one day come. Verse, Genesis 3 and verse 15. I'll put enmity. This is God speaking. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Nice and simply, that one day a seed of the woman would go and defeat the powers of Satan. Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give thee a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which of course means God with us. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. To promises to Abraham, verse 72 and 73, to perform the mercies promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. The promise, of course, to Abraham was that one day all nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham, and certainly that came about by Jesus Christ. Nice and simply, friends, catch this. Zacharias has found God's promises, and now he's trusting them. And so when the angel said his name should be John, Zacharias said his name's going to be John. And I tell you, friends, God's made a lot of promises to us as well. God's promise that he'll come back. I find a lot of similarities between 
John's ministry and our ministry. See, John was to prepare people for the coming Savior. Can I tell you, friends, that's really what we're supposed to do, isn't it? Prepare people for a coming Savior. The Lord is returning. As I believe Brother Ronald prayed earlier at the beginning of the service, as we look at everything that's going on in our world, and by the way, it's just plain nuts. You can't help but see that God's returning. He's coming back. And either there will be people that will be prepared for it or people that won't be prepared for it. His promises are sure. His promises will be fulfilled. The question is whether people will be ready. God's fulfilled promise. Number two, God's future plan. Verse number 76 He makes a shift, focusing instead of what God's done to what God's promised he will do. Can I remind you, friends, as we look at prophecy, as we look at the promises of God that have been fulfilled, we should realize and understand that that just points to the reality that future promises are going to be fulfilled just as clearly. The probability that the promises given about Jesus and about his birth, about his death, about his resurrection, is infinitesimal. But yet, it all was fulfilled exactly as God promised. All the way down to the year that he would die, friends, 400 so odd years beforehand, promised to the year he would die. To the place he would be born, a little small town, a little farming village, All of it promised and all of it perfectly fulfilled. That should point us to the future plan. In Zacharias' case, number one, it was to prepare for a Savior, as I just mentioned. Verse 76. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. He... He knows. By the way, this isn't anything that the um, that the angel told him so much. Not in these words specifically. The angel, of course, promised that um, he would cause people to turn to the Lord. But in terms of preparing the way of the Lord, this isn't something the angel told him. This is from his own study, right? There was a prophet that would come just before the Messiah would come. That will prepare people for the coming Messiah. Isaiah 40 and verse number 3. The voice of him crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The idea is this. When a king would come into a city. And he was coming into the city. He'd send emissaries before him. That would go and prepare people. Hey guys, the king's coming. Be ready. Hey guys, you got to prepare. The king's coming. The idea is very simply that John, he would go and he'd say, hey guys, the king's coming. You better be ready. That's our job. The king's coming. Be ready. When was the last time you warned someone, hey, the king's coming. You better be ready. Can I tell you, friends, we all together are not doing enough to prepare a way for the Savior. If you have to struggle thinking when the last time was that you shared the truth of the gospel, you are not doing your job. 
truth. If you have to go back a few months or a few years, when the last time was you shared the gospel, you are not doing your job. We have every gift, we have every ability, we have more than people in the Bible could have possibly ever dreamed. Right out there, you have a bunch of printed materials with every Bible verse that's necessary to lead someone to the Lord. When was the last time you grabbed some and used some? Y'all with me here? Y'all with me? We have, right in our pockets, right here, the greatest telecommunication device ever created. With this, I can contact literally thousands of people in an instant. Don't tell me you can't share the gospel. Don't tell me you can't prepare people for the Savior. He's coming. What are you doing about it? You know how John prepared people for the Savior? He went out into the desert. He ate nothing but locusts, grasshoppers, and honey. And he preached just with his own mouth, and thousands got saved. Thousands. Don't tell me you can't do something. Number one, prepare for the Savior. Number two, preach salvation. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. I I love how he describes what salvation is. That's exactly what salvation is. Giving knowledge of salvation. When I was talking to the young man back behind the church just the other day, I went and I gave him knowledge of salvation. The reality is that man had to choose whether he wanted to receive the remission of sins. Remission means to be sent away. The idea is that when you accept Christ, your sins are sent away. They're removed. They're cast as far as the east is from the west, as we say often. Your sins are completely removed. The reality is, what, what can we do? All we can do is give them knowledge of salvation. Yes? Some of you in this room, you may not have received Christ. I can't make you receive Christ, but what I can do is give you the knowledge of how to receive Christ. Only God can save you. Only God can remove the sin. But what was John going to do? John was going to give the knowledge. Can I ask you, friend? Have you been giving the knowledge of salvation? Christmas is the time we get together with family. Does your family know how to be saved? Nice and simply. Do they know? You can't change whether they get saved, but you can change whether they know how to get saved. You with me here? More hearts are open to the gospel and to the simplicity that is Christ in this time of year than any other time. Are you sharing it? Do they know? If they don't know, and if you haven't told them, then you haven't done your job. Prepare for the Savior. Preach salvation. Number three, proclaim sympathy. Verse 78 and 79, I love this. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. The day spring from on high is an interesting uh, phrase. It has the idea of that, uh, that bright shining star has come down to us. You see, of course, the star later on, but we'll talk about that later. Verse 79, to give a light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. What's he saying? He's saying nice and simply, hey, the reality is 
that we're sharing this stuff, not because we're mean, not because we're hurtful, not because we're angry, not because we're mad. We're sharing these things because God loves people and we love people. Can I explain it this way, nice and simply? The story of Zacharias, the example of Zacharias and Elizabeth, although we didn't focus on her too much here. The reality of these people, hey, they were good folks. Hey, they had some struggles with their faith. You have struggles with your faith? Are you trusting God? And finally, they got into God's promises and they decided to do something and to train someone that would serve God. Are you serving God the way you need to? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. A few simple questions and we'll let you go. First question is this. Talked a bit about salvation. Question is, do you know for sure you're saved? Again, I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking if you're moral. I'm not asking any of that stuff. What I am asking, nice and simply, is have you received the remission, the removal of your sins? Not you remove them. You can't remove them. God has to remove them. Have your sins been removed? Are you a child of God? Are you saved? You say, Pastor, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt my sins have been removed. I've received Christ. I put my trust in him. I know what salvation is, and I put my trust in him. I am saved. If that's you, raise your hand nice and high. It's testimony of the Lord. I know it. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. Good. Thank you. You can put your hands down. A few didn't raise your hand. If you do not know you're a child of God, today could be. I would urge you that today would be the day that you receive. Salvation is not about being better. It's not about trying harder. It's not about changing your life so much as it is receiving Christ. Only he can take away your sin. Only he can save. And it's receiving him. Listen, friend, I can give you the knowledge of salvation simply. One, you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. None of us can doesn't matter whether you're really bad sinner or just a little bit of a sinner. You're still a sinner, and one sin will send you to hell. Number two, the reality is that Jesus paid the, punish, the punishment for your sin. He paid it all. So you have to choose to receive it. It's Christmas time. It's time of gifts. If I were to offer you a gift and I were to say, hey, here, here it is. Here's the gift. You'd have to believe that it was something worth taking, and you'd have to take it. Salvation is you believing that it's worth taking and that, I, that Christ can offer it, and it's taking. So, friend, will you receive Christ today? Will you receive Jesus? Say, Pastor, I want to talk to you about it after the service. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I don't do that. I Literally, I do not do that kind of thing. I do want to catch you in the midst of everyone talking, in the midst of um, saying goodbye to everybody. I do want to catch you, and I do want to make sure I can see you, okay? Say, Pastor, I want to talk to you about getting saved. I want to talk to you about getting this settled. Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I promise I will. You can say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I want to talk to you about it. I want to get it settled. If that's who would you raise your hand? Just real quietly. No one's looking. No one's looking. No one's looking. Pastor, I want to talk to you about it. I want to get it settled. Listen, friend, even if you don't raise your hand, come up to me and say, hey, can we talk? go and talk about it and get it settled. The focus of this message, though, is for Christians. First question is this. Has there been something you've been praying about that you kind of lost your faith in? 
if the angel came to you and said, hey, that prayer's going to be answered, would you have excuses why it wouldn't be? Or are you still trusting in the power of God? You say, Pastor, in some way, my faith is lame. I begin to doubt. I begin to doubt. Pastor, I need to have faith in God. It's God's power. It's not mine. I need to start trusting him. If that's you, you raise your hand. I need you, I need you to pray for me that I have faith in God, that God can work it out. Good, thank you. You can put your hands down. Anyone else? I need, I need you to pray for me that God can work it out. Good, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will. I promise I will pray for you. Third question is this. The reality of Zacharias was that he chose to trust in the Lord's promises and then do something about it, to preach salvation, to share the truth. Say, Pastor, I'm not sharing the truth like I need to. I need to step it up. The Lord's coming. I need to prepare people for his coming. Pastor, I need you to pray for me that I will share the truth more. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Many of us. I would say, honestly, most of us. Good, thank you. Let's go before the Lord. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, you've seen the hands, you know the hearts, you know what's going on in each circumstance, in each situation. Father, you know the struggles and the burdens of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us to be exactly what you've called us to be for your honor and your glory. Lord, for those that don't know for sure that heaven is their home, help them to get it settled. Help them to receive the removal of their sins by you. Father, for those that have been praying for something and, Lord, been struggling with some kind of battle for so long that they've, begin, they've begun to doubt, they've begun to lose faith, Lord, I pray that their faith would be restored and renewed, that they would trust you, that they would choose to put their faith in you, not making excuses, not making reasons why you won't answer, but believing that you will God, I pray for the many of us who said, hey, we need to step it up in sharing the gospel, in sharing the word, in preparing for your return. Lord, strengthen us to be what you've called us to be in those areas. In so many other areas, as your Holy Spirit works, as, as he always does, Lord, change us and challenge us to get it settled, to be what you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things.